These men, Kane Escobar and Steve Sheely, are the pilot brewers for Miller Valley Brewing, an experimental pilot brewery for the giant Mackle Brewery that we know so well. Guys, welcome to the... Well, <laughs> God <laughs> we got, Oh my God. Kane, welcome... <laughs> All right. Kane, welcome to the Tap Takeover Podcast. Cheers. You've stumbled on into the Tap Takeover Podcast. Deep in the bowels of Miller Brewery on State Street in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, two mad brewers are given free reign to tend to their bubbling cauldrons of wort. Left to their own devices, these men take liberties with whatever malt, hop, or adjunct that pleases their fancy. These men, Kane Escobar and Steve Sheely, are the pilot brewers for Miller Valley Brewing, an experimental pilot brewery for the giant Mackle Brewery that we know so well. Kane, welcome to the Tap Takeover Podcast. And as we always like to do, let's put some voices to the names. This is Jim. Jesus. Andy here. Kane. Alex. Kane, thank you so much for having us here in the bowels of Miller Brewery. Thank you for having us. We're really excited to try some of the, these new concoctions that you've been working on. Give our listeners kind of an idea of uh, where this is coming from. Uh, this is not your typical Miller product. Give us a little lowdown. They're definitely not your typical Miller product. So we are a little different than some of the pilot facilities that some of the craft guys may have, or some of you may or may not know AC Golden, Rhino Brewery. Those guys are piloting products to sell, so they're trying to use the creative juices to get products out the door. We are mainly a research facility, so research and innovation. So we do um, all the new products for the entire network, along with fixing existing products, working with other other departments, such as our hop chemists, our cereal chemists. So a, a little bit of everything. And now that Molson took us over, now we're also doing stuff for the UK, Canada. So we're kind of that, that overall, that big workhorse that does everything from A to Z. So it's very diverse and uh, it's diverse on what we can do down here. So Steve and I kind of, you know, whenever we, we work our butts off to get some some downtime, which isn't really downtime, we kind of use the, the creative juices, get some wild beers going. You know, a lot of the craft guys and the craft drinkers out there, they, they want some bigger beers. They want some full-bodied beers. They want something with crazy ingredients. So we kind of make that a reality down here and showcase it around Milwaukee. I just started kind of going to the festivals in Illinois this year so showcasing some stuff down there and what we can do I mean most, most people think Miller Miller Coors and they're like oh yeah Miller Light Coors Light that's cool good <laughs> job guys who were the original craft guys in the beginning right you didn't have a whole lot of craft breweries you know 50 years ago and so it was just oh yeah there's brewery A, B, C, and D and now it's it's booming right there's there's hundreds all over the place so we, we have some good capabilities we have some good brewers down here we do a lot of cool stuff but I'll tell you what uh, when you talk about macro there's something to be said for consistency to be able to to uh, take varying ingredients from uh, all sorts of different places. Uh, you know, you, you hope you get the same contract every year, but it's not always guaranteed. And be able to put out the uh, the same product every single year that tastes, you know, just the same. There, there's something to be said for that. Uh, there is. I'm going to say this. It may make some people mad, but honestly, if you can't make the same beer day in, day out, make it taste exactly the same, you probably shouldn't be brewing. Your customers expect a certain something from you, and that's what you have to deliver on. It's a bold statement. I want to know the history of how long you've been doing this because honestly as we've been going to these festivals the standouts every time are you guys definitely we're getting a little cult following it's going around especially milwaukee area so it's it's kind of cool it's fun um 
I'll get into that, but before I obviously need a beer, so oh, I'm gonna okay. start us out. With, I'm gonna start us out with a high life because that's usually what you'll see me drinking uh, at a festival when I'm starting it out. Yeah, this is the beer of my youth. This is really a world class lager. Champagne I mean, right. beers, yeah, right? right? So this was kind of Miller's claim to fame with the light stability on the hops. Um, that's why they were able to put it in a in a Flint bottle. A lot of guys weren't doing that back back in the day, and they couldn't. They didn't have the, uh, the technology or the um, kind of expertise to work with and uh, make a product like this. You grew up in Milwaukee too. This is this is just the, the standard of youth, I think, for when you first start drinking. I mean, I'll still drink this on a warm summer day after cutting the grass. Oh, it's a solid huh? beer. Oh yeah, it's it's got that little bit of sweetness, that little bit of effervescence. There's a couple extra bubbles or two in there. It's you know it's it's always a real nice one. And what I find is interesting about the the Miller High Life and a lot of the other Miller products, it's uh, it's what the brewers drink when they're brewing their own beer. Exactly. <laughs> they might not come right out and say it, but uh, somewhere right right out there about it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I mean you're all, you're always going to see it in, in little craft bars and you know tap houses and stuff. They usually have High Life in there, whether it's in a bottle or on tap. But it's usually floating around somewhere. Yeah. When we when we covered smells like a beer, Beer fest on a microphone. This this was the brewer's beer at every single station. Yeah, awesome. they got a pallet drop there. Uh, off color down Chicago does a collaboration with Miller. You know, based on this beer. Of course, they sour it and make an imperial version of it. But it, this is actually their beer that they love to drink. Yeah, no. So actually, um, that's kind of one of my favorite parts is we do get to play around with the collaborations and they come through here. So I did the collab with John. He came down here. I went down to his facility. We did uh, you know high life over here on our system and then the the makeshift modified high life <laughs> on his system so it was, it was really fun it was it was nice to get out of the out of the freaking cave over here so yeah i would think an imperial version of this would be fantastic honestly well, you must get out of the cave pretty often though don't you not no, as no. much as you would think yeah no i mean if you're dealing with all the hops with r&d you get to travel a lot right i wish oh. yeah so it's mostly the people upstairs and our, our bosses and stuff they don't send the grunts <laughs> out there <laughs> kind of sad I, w- I wish that was the case that's usually how it is it, the yeah. bosses expect you to do all the work while they go out and Enjoy, <laughs> exactly. right, do all the fun stuff. I, I do head out to CBC though, Craft Brewers Conference. I usually make it every year and just kind of check out all the cool stuff they're doing and attend some of the talks and new technologies, new uh, new industry processes and standards. So, uh, so Kane, let's uh, let's talk about you and your own personal beer journey. When you kind of got into the craft brewing aspect of, of brewing, what were some of your influences? What were you kind of drinking at the time? What kind of inspired you to get into brewing stuff that's uh, not not your typical Miller products? Well, it's just kind of the the way the industry started turning, right? So, I, I actually, when I started drinking, I, I was definitely not a uh, a hoppy or stout kind of guy. You know, it's like give me something. I grew up on Coors Light. Um, that was that was my bread and butter. That was it. And then I started, once I got into college, kind of started venturing out. And, you know, the craft beer was kind of coming more and more available, easier to get your hands on, and more and more craft breweries. So then, you know, started experimenting, trying different beers, and just kind of fell in love with some of them and got some styles that I really liked. My palate is what drives kind of what I'm what I'm making down here. So, Kane, we're talking about your journey. Where did you grow up? Are you from the Milwaukee area originally? No, originally California. Um, so, homegrown Californian, sadly. Um, <laughs> but, so, I went, went to Davis and did my bachelor's in brewing at Davis. So, food science emphasis in brewing. I actually fell into that by accident. So, I started as a chemical engineer. I absolutely hated it. I'm sorry for all those chemies out there. <laughs> um, midway through, when I was going to switch majors, um, I had taken an intro to beer and brewing class with uh, Charlie Bamforth. Kind of, you know, the, the Pope of Foam out there, the legend. Took an intro to beer and brewing, fell in love with it. 
and then I found out it was a major. So I'm like, done, mom. <laughs> I'm gonna make beer now. It's no longer uh, chemical engineering. I mean, I was either I was either gonna go into the the beer scene as a chemi anyways, the ABI, you know, the the Budweiser plant in Fairfield right down the street. I was like, all right, cool. That that'd be a good a good venture. I'd always I'd always wanted to work for Coors back in the day. Again, growing up on Coors Light, it's like, ah, yeah. oh, that'd be that'd be awesome. That'd be a dream. And then it just kind of fell into that. So it was either weapons as a chemi or beer and then i just went straight beer <laughs> so so did that had um i actually charlie kind of put in a good word for me and i started working uh, as an intern for shiner so i did six months before i graduated with them met some really cool people went to a master brewers conference and met some more folks from miller so I had a job lined up before i graduated and then as soon as i i finished my degree December 26th, off to Texas. So I was working at the Fort Worth production plant, starting in quality. So um, my, my intro to, to beer on, on the essentially professional level was in the quality scene, which I'm very fortunate to, one, had started in big beer, and then two, started with the quality foundation. I mean, a lot of guys don't have that out there. Some are trying their hardest to get it. They're going to extra, you know, you know extended education and stuff, which is great. That's what they need to do, because the quality scene, I mean, that, that's just going to build your foundation. So lucky enough, I started there, moved into the brewing department, and then from there off to Milwaukee. So I've been here almost four years now, three years, nine months. So it's been a fun ride. And you started right away with uh, Miller Valley, the, the craft one division? No, I started at the big production plant in Texas, yeah. So no, 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 I'm saying... Uh, when you moved here, was your main purpose yeah. just to do that? Yeah, my, I, I came in as a pilot brewer right away. So working on our 10-barrel system, we're actually split into two segments. So small side and big side is what they're known at. So whenever you hear Miller Valley, it's usually the big side. It's usually myself and Steve. Um, but we have a small side that's kind of a glorified homebrew system. It's a dual wall-mounted 40-liter system. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so a lot, a lot, they get tons of projects. A lot of projects start through there. They, there may be a project that has maybe nine prototypes to it. And then they'll chop it down and it'll, it'll make its way to us. And then from there, maybe go down further or they'll narrow it to a single project. Since you started four years ago, I guess has any one of those beers seen the light of day? Um, yeah, there's actually been, been a lot of uh, a lot of beers. Um, none that I would extremely like be like gung ho about. Um, but we do feed everybody and anything. So a lot of our um, flavored malt beverages, so like all our Reds products, those all come through here. Um, the Big Eddies series came through here once upon a time. Um, a lot of the newer liney brews, we feed all that. Before we had uh, some hiccups with licensing, we used to also uh, feed our craft cider division. We mess around with ciders down here as well, which is kind of cool. And then we, we feed our we feed our craft divisions, such as you know your Tenth and Blake, which is your God, what is it, Terrapin, Revolver, Hop Valley. So all those guys, we we help them out with projects. We scale up products, so if they're going to get moved to a different brewery, some of their products, um, we help them out. So we're, we got our hands in everything. So you work a lot on scaling then, because there's a expansion going on over on 10th Street. So then you got these microbreweries that have now come into the fold, but they need to be brewing at scale in a much larger system. What are some of the uh, challenges on doing that? Some of the challenges, uh, a, a big challenge is especially... Um, when we are doing scale-ups for some of our craft guys is they may not have the ability to pasteurize product and so in order for it to be made at one of our larger facilities it either has to be flash pasteurized thermoplasterized or pol filtered we won't allow anything that's not been one of those three out the door 
for stability and micro reasons. So you have that one concern, and obviously that's going to impact your flavor profile match. So you're just you're trying to narrow that upscale of the the bigger brewery to match exactly exact characteristics of what those craft guys are actually looking for. So if I'm making you know revolvers, sidewinders, something like that. You know, we're going to be sending products to Texas. They're, they're going to be coming over here, checking on the process, seeing how we're doing it. They're going to be tasting it. And then from there, we may scale it to the next brewery, right? And they're going to be doing the exact same thing. So when beginning to scale, do they send a bunch of different batches to you guys as well? So we'll, we'll get some, some kind of like reference samples. So we'll send them some reference and we'll, obviously we'll taste them. Well, yeah. you know, right, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we also kind of crunch some analyticals. So I, a lot of, the, in, I mean, that's even with our guys, a lot of the numbers don't match up what they're saying they are. Sure. So, and, and it's not that they're doing anything wrong. It's that, you know, they may not have the equipment to, to run some of those nitty-gritty well, tests. I imagine there's different efficiencies that have different systems. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Every system's going to have its own efficiency. It's all, it's really system-dependent. It is also brewer-dependent. It shouldn't be, but um, that it also, you know, plays into to effect. So do you run, like, some of the chemical tests? Some of those All the analyticals? Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're actually lucky enough to have our corporate um, microbiology lab and our corporate analytical lab upstairs. So we bombard them like crazy with samples on everything and anything you think, SO2s, metals, receiver sample, you name it, bottles, you name it. We'll send it upstairs and get hard data so we actually know what we're doing. I mean, you can, you can only make so many changes, you know, on an educated guess, but if you have the facts to, to back it up, you can really manipulate the systems and make it turn out exactly how you want. Have there been any that you've had to make fairly significant changes to the recipe? There have. So we, we I'm not going to throw down some specific <laughs> names to talk about yeah yeah but, but we we've have had some of our craft guys you know so we'll be doing projects for them and then as soon as we we make the product off what you know what the numbers are supposed to be like and we run what they send us we're like holy crap these do not match up <laughs> right they're saying one thing but their product's showing another so then then that's part of also you know fine-tuning and helping them fine-tune their process yeah, right. your breeding consistency is only going to help exactly. their brand, too. Exactly. Yeah. So how do those projects come in? Uh, like, Who determines what you're going to be working on? So that's kind of the hard part. We cater to everyone and their mothers, I like to say, because um, <laughs> we're getting requests from everybody. Like, um, everyone's I mean, money's green. Right? E- exactly. <laughs> I, everyone's our customer. So we're dealing with the craft guys, our cereal chemists, hop chemists. Um, a lot is marketing driven. They'll come out with ideas and say, hey, we need this done. Um, and then that's where our developmental brewers upstairs, you know, they're kind of that interface between recipe development and the marketing side of the business. And then we're, we're the doers over here. So we'll, we'll tweak and uh, refine stuff. So we kind of feel the hurt first in certain recipes as well, because if something isn't acting to, uh, to standard or it's causing a lot of problems, we're the ones that are going to have the problems. And then we can, uh, you know, relay that feedback on the big breweries or whoever it's going to hey this may not work because it's going to be this or that we have the good days and the bad days that sounds pretty challenging being able to take whatever idea somebody comes up with and, and just execute it you know yeah. to the best of your abilities yeah we, we've had some recipes where you know as a brewer like you know, we kind of chat amongst ourselves and we're like god this is an abomination i can't believe i have to do this but besides the brewing side we're also soda makers you know, we, we used to do cider. We do a lot, a lot of flavored malt beverages. I mean, pump out a lot of flavored malt beverages, neutral malt, beverages, neutral malt beverages. So a lot going on. 
You know, uh, speaking of a lot going on, uh, one question that we always like to ask all of our brewers is uh, if you could kind of take over the taps at the Tap Takeover podcast, which brews uh, at your brewery would you choose to kind of tell the story? It's a different sort of uh, question. It's not really telling the story of Miller because the story is 160 years old. It's a different sort of question for you you here (laughs) at Miller Valley. So, you know, if you want to throw maybe one regular Miller product on, but then kind of talk about uh, some of the beers that really you've kind of made your name on with the uh, the Miller Valley Brewery. Yeah, so I mean that and that story would, would be kind of kind of the story of Steve and myself, right? So obviously there were brewers prior to us that have thrown out some awesome products, but but currently how it stands, you know, I actually attend every almost every single festival that we go to. I think I missed one this year because I was in a different state, but out of the 20 some, I think I did 22 this year. Uh, yeah, and it's all volunteer work, baby. You know, we're not getting paid for that. Um, it's a lot of weekends. That's yes, half the year. Yeah, so. So we, we, oh man, it's really hard because obviously I would have some high life. That's, you know, bread and butter as a, as a brewer. That's, that's your go-to. And we've chatted about this, you know, obviously kind of chewing our, our, our end game would, we would love to open a brewery. Probably won't happen. You know, it's nice having a stable paycheck and uh, insurance, but definitely you have to have a Pilsner or a lager, light lager, lighter lager, lager of some sort. I mean, that, that's a staple. You, you need to have something like that, something crisp, refreshing that, that's going to bring in that clientele that's, eh, you know, a little scared of the Russian Imperials and, you know, all your heavier, hoppier, maltier beers. Um, so you need kind of like a little intro. And then definitely would have a stout. Is there a, a Pilsner that you could point to that has been successful for for you guys at Miller uh, Valley? So we actually did the collaboration with the 150th. Cool. With Hofbrau. So that, that, was, that was a fun one. Um, I, I think if I was to have one, it would probably be similar to uh, the High Heat which I'll have you guys try later. That was actually uh, one we did with the Milwaukee Brewers. So fun fun beer. It was kind of, uh, you know, Miller Lite-esque with a little higher ABV and dry hops. So it had a little more essence to it. So that, that's kind of what I would go for if I was to shoot on something like that. And so then, something like that is when you said you collabed with the, the brewers, that obviously didn't make it to the stores. Is that more like a corporate thing? Um, so we actually had, um, actually, Corey Knable was originally going to come down with us, but he was in, uh, in rehab. So we had uh, Josh Hader and Taylor Williams come down. And, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so Corey wanted something Miller like, Miller Light esque, right? So, so they're like, well, we want to, you know, continue with that. So we designed a beer for him, and that was that high heat. We actually showcased it at Miller Park. So we did that, a beer for them, and then a beer for um, LePay and Schroeder. So the announcers, they had their own beer. So it was kind of like a head-to-head beer competition on who would win. <laughs> so they did you know, private votes and all that. So Brewers won. Exactly. So, Kane, I don't know if you've listened to this podcast before, but we don't need to wait till later to try that beer. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> so. All right. Well, let me, let me, let me, we'll, uh, we'll continue the uh, tap takeover as we pour the next beer. Let, let me start the gauntlet then. All right. So now we got this high heat, right? We got some high heat. That's right. So this is a uh, Imperial Light Pilsner that we dry hopped with... Laurel and lemon drop. You can smell a little bit on the nose. Yeah, so I, I wish yeah. it was, you know, it's got some age on it. We actually brewed this in uh, it's like July. May. Oh, May. May. Yeah, oh, okay. so so the dry hop notes obviously a little diminished. So when they said they want a Miller Lite S beer, is there a such thing as you take Miller Lite as a base beer and add to it, or how does that? I mean, you, you could, yeah. So we, we actually did a similar base recipe base as Miller Lite, brewed it like a Miller Lite with uh, enzyme and all that all that good jazz, and then cut it to a certain, al- a certain alcohol and dry hopped it. So we actually wanted a little a little higher in ABV, but Miller Park cuts it off at 7, so we did 6.9. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
nice. we're just real right there. It's nice. I, I like that lemon drop hop in there. It adds that little citrus flavor. Yep. It's um, kind of like lemon I don't know, lime it's zest. Coming, maybe it's the age on the thing, but uh, it's coming across almost like a Saison. You know, there's, uh, I don't know, just like a dryness at, at mm. the back end that I'm yeah. really kind of digging. Yeah, it, crisp, dry finish. Yeah, it is. And then, yeah, oh, the bitterness of the hops is, is really an interesting contrast because you look at it and you have an expectation and then it comes across your palate very differently. Mm-hmm. So is this something uh, that works for next year too? Probably a yearly thing with the brewers? Yeah, or? that's kind of what, what it's been sounding like. Uh, we did um, one with Eric last year. We did an IPA for him. So that, that was a, a fun little project. And then this year with the boys, um, Josh and Taylor. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see who, uh, who we're doing with it, uh, who we're brewing with next year. So the bo- both beers had player involvement. They actually came here. And yeah, yeah, they were actually here pouring hops. You know, making where we made them drag hose and do, <laughs> do the fun stuff. Yeah, a beautiful uh, light finish, uh, especially for a, a summer Brewers game. But you also mentioned stouts. You got to put a stout on the uh, on the tap takeover. Oh yeah, of which uh, you've had a number of very successful ones that uh, that we've been able to try at uh, at the different beer fests. Uh, can you can you uh, narrow it down to one, or we'll we'll let you throw a couple stouts on if you. Uh, like. Oh man, you know I actually got a couple for you today. Some uh, some cool barrel aged ones. I want to say probably my favorite. I know Steve's favorite is the Hugs and Kisses, which I have I have here today. That's a 2014 brandy barrel aged <clears throat> cherry doppel shorts. Oh boy. Ooh. Yeah. So I have some. I went to the to the stash and pulled some out for you guys. That's what you should do. <laughs> <laughs> it's the cachet of the podcast. We have yeah. such luminaries here. So. <laughs> um, I, I'd say one of my favorites is uh, the uh, George Dickel Tickle. It's uh, a bourbon barrel aged maple milk stout. Yeah. So yeah. I, I actually won the Miller homebrew competition with that recipe and then the reward was, hey, you get to brew it in Miller Valley. So I'm like, crap, I get more work. <laughs> um, but so we took it a step further and we, we ended up buying some barrels and uh, put it in heaven in a George Dickel uh, bourbon barrels, hence the George Dickel. The, I actually started the, pro, the barrel age program probably three years ago. So, like right when I got here, you know, started doing a lot of barrel aging. Um, so you start seeing a lot, you know, higher influx of barrel aged stouts and just crazy stuff. So it's it's been fun. It's been fun, kind of kind of data collecting and trending some of the barrels. I want to say my favorite is Heaven Hill, like hands down. If I'm gonna do bourbon, Heaven Hill is like the bee's knees for me. Yeah, that that seems to be an industry standard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, people love those Heaven Hill barrels. How do you get budget for all these projects? Like, how do you get to determine how much you get to spend on some of this fun stuff? So, some projects already have their budgets built in, right? So that's that's already set in stone. Um, as far as the fun, quote unquote, fun stuff, we do have a yearly budget, so we do have to be mindful to that. And it's really kind of an educational portion for us sometimes. So if I do get a chance to make a brew that that's different that I'm going to be showcasing at a festival or something, I, I take I take the opportunity to learn something out of it. You know, whether it's a new malt, a new hop, um, a new piece of equipment, you, you name it, I'll I'll do something fun. We actually just commissioned our cereal cooker again, and so I was like, all right, let's do a cereal cooker brew and let's make a triple. And with that, we'll try some different hops and some different malts that we have because we. We work a lot with our hop suppliers, so we'll get a lot of the experimental hops that f- when they first come out. So we get to play with that, which is really fun. Yeah, because there's new stuff coming out all the time. Oh, right? There's yeah. innovation going up and down the mm-hmm. supply chain from new varietals of hops, from new innovations in barley, too, which you wouldn't think would be able to change that much. But there are. There's uh, some big changes coming in from... Uh, those barley growers and just the uh, genetics yep. that they're messing oh, with. Oh yeah, most definitely. It's got to be the, the best part is you get to play with it first, probably. Oh you, yeah, exactly. You get to play with it and understand it and 
see how it reacts, you know. So do you have a lot of people trying to pick your brain about what's new coming down the pipeline? Uh, the smart ones, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the outlook is kind of changing now, uh, which is good. Um, but when I first got over here, there was a lot of, uh, oh, you're big beer? Yeah, Miller? Uh, yeah. So, you know, you kind of got shunned a little bit. And the, the ones that understood, they're like, oh, yeah, tell me about this, tell me about that. And I want to just pick your brain and learn every little aspect and keynote that you know. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. And, I mean, we're very open. I mean, we... We help uh, a lot of our craft guys, um, so drop names, third space. I mean, good friends with Kevin, you know, we'll, we'll run analyticals for them now and again and help those guys out. So got a good rapport with a lot of the craft guys locally. Is that something that has to go through the chains, or they just call you directly? I mean, uh, yeah, it's like you, you know a guy. It's one of those. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, not everybody's got a you know a full time lab that you can just run whatever kind of sample that you want yeah, exactly. out there. That's that's a huge advantage that you guys have over uh, some of the smaller breweries. So, what's going to be hot in 2019? Then, what's the hot new thing? You mean trend wise, or something that we're going to both? Out? Both trend and what's the new hop coming coming down the pipeline? We just started playing around with some cashmere and Idaho Gem, Idaho Seven. Uh, so those are kind of the, the ones we're messing around with right now. We have some others that just have experimental numbers on them. Those uh, I probably shouldn't talk about, but we're we're checking around with those, playing, kind of seeing what how, you know what components, characteristics are actually putting out in your beer. No, no, no flavor characteristics for us. Uh, yeah. So we play a lot with flavor on the flavor house realm. So we have a lot of flavor houses we work with. Everything from the new hot flavors that are coming out, hitting the market, to yeah, you name it. I mean, we're it, it's it's funny because we, we do so much of the new innovation that you know the whole glitter beer scene you know got real real hot right? okay so no no, no so, I don't yeah, right so for, for like forty five days exactly right for that one month so here, here's the funny part because right before that happened you know it got really you know they were showcasing it at CBC and all that so I found a box with tons of food grade glitter in our storage cabinet that was from 2008 and so i called the, the supplier i'm like hey i found these can i use these he's like yeah they're still good they probably just you know they settle out a little faster but you can still use them i'll just send you fresh stuff so we so we for st patrick's day we did uh packer high life with this green green high life with gold and green glitter that's cool but you think about it you know 08 that's been sitting in our cabinet since 08 so and it's barely hitting the market and kind of coming to buzz now that was way yeah way, was ahead, way ahead of their time, of time. <laughs> which so, which is kind of the bad part so a lot a lot of the beers as you know this whole pilot facility was kind of revamping and so it was established in 2000 first off just let me lay that out so they established this place in 2000 and from there um started feeding kind of the innovation network and then doing the r&d other research but from there a lot of the the brews were kind of ahead of their time so it kind of got put in the closet and yeah okay and then that time came and we never jumped on it right so that became a problem of kind of being you know behind the eight ball which oh yeah we had a grapefruit ipa five years prior to it you know actually becoming popular you know if we would have launched it then it would have been you know would have been a flop right and then we didn't launch it at the right time so so uh, tell me tell me about the process when you guys get a new experimental hop in uh, how do you guys experiment with that do you guys have like a base brew that you brew with every hop so you can kind of see what that distinctive hop flavor is or do you kind of brew a beer around that hop what, what does that look like exactly for uh, you guys? so it, it depends we used to have a designated hop chemist and so they would they would always deal with growers and play around with the hops and you know they'd get all the new hops and design experiments around those hops and then we would brew them on a base beer which would be high life funny enough it's a solid base so 
we do we do high life for a lot of our our kind of trials of malt and hops that's really interesting and then if we're trying to do something fun so if there's something i want to showcase somewhere for a special event or something like that then you know i'll be i'll build the beer around that hop if that hop wants you know if i want to showcase that hop specifically then i'll i'll build something around that to cater and suit that so uh so we talked about the stouts probably time for uh for a stout in our glasses okay. <laughs> and as we're pouring that stout i guess i was just wondering I, i'm not clear about this is everything a one-off most of the stuff i take to festivals are one-offs it's kind of and that's kind of the super crazy stuff that's you know which makes us popular with everyone but most of it they're they're all one-offs sadly Okay. All those recipes are in a file somewhere, right? That's true. So if, if Mark and Amber says, hey, we want this, I'm like, boom, got you. <laughs> kind of switching it up and making it interesting. I have a non-dairy milk stout for you. So when was this brewed? This is an old one, too. This is uh, probably brewed in November of last year. But this made an appearance at some of the uh, festivals this year, right? Yeah, so this guy has been holding on tremendous. It's kind of crazy how well it's held up as far as flavor stability. Since you talk about everything's a one-off, but you still have some, how much do you actually make of that one-off? It depends. So, one, I mean, it's dependent on how much storage space we have because we are limited. So that kind of hinders us a little bit. And then the batch size. So, like, this triple that I made, I have currently four and a half barrels of it, maybe five barrels. So it's really dependent on the system that you brew it on? or No, it's not the system. It's just really how much we, we want. If it's something we're going to be showcasing in a lot of festivals and we know it can hold up, then we'll package a little more. If it's something that we know the shelf life is going to be a little less, we may only do a couple cases. Maybe it only makes appearance at three fests and uh, stocks my fridge. But that's about it. Let's get into this beer here. Yeah, Jim, what are, what are you tasting here? Cause, uh, uh, a lot of chocolate. Yeah, uh, I know chocolate. I know if it's the non-dairy milk, and I'm interested to know what that is. I'm immediately envisioning you pouring a lot of little packs of, <laughs> of creamer. Non-dairy creamer? No. No, it doesn't. We're... we're yeah, we're kind of limited to that on the cra- like kind of on the craft beer scene. We can't just go out and go buy stuff and toss it in our tanks. It doesn't work that way. Quality would have have our butts. So it's all got to go through quality approval and stuff. So this one is kind of it's kind of an off, a one off. So we actually cannot have lactose in any of our breweries because it's an allergen. So this is my solution to hey, we don't have a milk stout. Let's get a milk stout out there. Let's have something that's going to taste like a milk stout, but without the lactose components. You could still put it in any upscale, any large brewery. I think it's a really successful experiment. You almost get like a like a cafe con leche mm-hmm. kind of flavor from it. So I like to say it, it tastes like cocoa puff milk. So you just yeah. finished your bowl of cocoa puffs and you're slurping <laughs> yeah. the bowl of milk. Yeah. Now, did you add chocolate or is that just from the malts? Uh, that's just straight from the malts. Wow. I mean, it's got a huge chocolate-based flavor that's on That's impressive. This. That's really impressive. But this one's 7%. Like, this is awesome. So what's the next step? Is this just kind of goes and fades away, or, or does someone from up high say, you know, do I, this again? In, in all reality, I wish that wasn't the case, but yeah, it, it'll probably fade away. But if for some reason we ever do want to kind of pump out a milk stat out there, this is a viable option. It's already been written. It's already been made. So if they say, hey, give me this, I can have it to you tomorrow. You know, something like that. You kind of have some free reign to do fun stuff. If you're kind of maybe stuck or something, you're like, man, I really want to do that beer again. Could you just do this again? Uh, potentially. I mean, there's, there's always got to be, a bit, uh, you know, it's got to cater to the business, right? You know, mm-hmm. how, how am I helping the business at the end of the day? Or right? it just can't be just for fun, you know, because yeah. you need more beer. Yeah. Mind you, there's a lot of gray area <laughs> that you can play with that. But so this is, is this something, too, like you guys do? You do contract brew for a lot of different craft breweries. Is this something like a craft brewery would come to you and say, hey, can you help us out with a recipe? You know, we want to work with you on creating a recipe. 
Is that something you guys do for people no, with stuff like this? Yeah, we don't do that specifically. We're, we're kind of the black ups of brewing, so we're very, very hush-hush. <laughs> obviously, obviously, as you can tell, we're in the subfloor of the technical center. so yep. They hide you, know, you away from everybody. Yeah. Deep in the bowels. Yeah, you had to, you had to hide, you know, hide from security. And I just hope we make it out of dogs. here. <laughs> All right, well, I think this is a good time to take a little break, pour some more beers, and uh, be right back after uh, some beer news. Welcome to Beer News, certified fresh as of January 10th, 2019. Happy New Year to all our listeners. As we celebrate our second anniversary on January 11th here on the podcast, we want to take a moment and thank you, our loyal listeners. This show wouldn't be possible without you. This week's easily accessible beer is Three Sheep's Veneration, a Belgian-style quad brewed with figs and molasses and aged in rye whiskey barrels. Veneration is a homage to the Trappist brewers of Belgium, the monastic forefathers of beer. The smell is of figs, malt, whiskey, rye, dates, plums, light smoke, and oak. The taste pretty much follows along with the same, smooth, somewhat creamy, with a solid full body. In beer news, this upcoming list of releases will most likely be getting pared down as the partial government shutdown continues. The shutdown means that no new beers can be approved as long as the TTB is closed. With that being said, so far 2019 looks like it's going to be a banner year for a variety of craft beer. Eagle Park has their next release on this Saturday, January 12th. Double Snowball is a 10% imperial version of their milk stout brewed with cacao and toasted coconut. Venture Brewing has a collaboration release on January 19th, the Brew City Bruisers Kosh. Learn about the Brew City Bruisers, the local roller derby team, and drink some beer. Raffles and info about the new season will be happening throughout the night. Firestone Walker announces its first ever hazy IPA, Mine Haze. It's official. Hazy IPAs have gone mainstream. Expect to see Mine Haze wherever Firestone Walker is distributed. Breaking news on Topping Goliath's highly sought-after stout assassin. A release date of March 30th has been set. Details on when tickets go on sale are still to follow, but clear your weekend if you happen to be one of the lucky few to score a ticket. In festival news, it's a new year, and I know the TTP crew is ready to hit the beer fest circuit once again. The question is, are you? Reports coming in are the festival attendance was down across the board in 2018, except for the biggest and most sought-after ones. Will 2019 continue the downward trend, or will fest bounce back? Send us your feedback on any of our social media accounts. To start the new year is Antioch's Winter Beer Riot on January 26th from 1 to 5 p.m. Wristbands are going quick, so sign up now. Next on the circuit is the Midwinter Beer Fest hosted by the Milwaukee Ale House in the 3rd Ward of Milwaukee on February 17th, noon to 5 p.m. Tickets are on sale now. And in general news, some interbrewery drama is occurring on the East Coast. Employees of Hill Farmstead, who invested money to help start Tired Hands, are suing that brewery. Their case states that the owners of Tired Hands did not pay back on the investment in a timely manner, as agreed. Stay tuned to see how this plays out. And this has been Beer News. We are back. Thanks so much for another awesome edition of Beer News. I don't know how you do it every week. During the break, Kane poured out a couple other beers here. Do you want to explain what we got in front of us? We got yeah. two different ones, right? Yeah, I got two beers for you. We're, I'm trying to keep you on the on the lighter of the palate side till we uh, hop over to the under the dark side. So I got one beer that does not have a name yet. 
as far as what it will be called on uh, at the festivals. And then I have another one called the Big Labruski. I, I was asked why the fancy label. So most of our products um, that you'll see, you know, a lot of a lot of people go to the festivals and they'll like, oh, let me see the label. We'll grab our bottles. It'll say sample only, not for resale. Um, <laughs> that's for legal purposes. So all our products are going to have that on there for the most part. Some of our products will have a fancy nice label. And the, the reason being, they do uh, kind of like a fundraiser auction and they auction off the opportunity to be able to brew down in Miller Valley. Got the um, Donald Driver fundraiser, a bunch of different fundraisers around the city. So they'll auction off a brew day. And then people bid on it and some people get it cheap, some people pay 30 grand for it it's just all over the place part of that is they get their their own beer so we design a beer specifically for them they design a label and we package it and we give them a a set amount of product and so they get a nice little fancy label with whatever picture or name they want to put on it so who was this one that one was patrick lupar and it still has the same sample only yeah yeah they're still going to say sample only but they just get a nice graphic they get the name starting i guess i'll start with unnamed beer this was actually for under one of those auctions are one of our trucking companies that works with us a lot they happen to win the auction for one of their retirees so they wanted something kind of like peroni but with a little more something to it. So we did a higher ABV Peroni, in a sense, uh, like a higher ABV, and then we dry hopped it. It did seem like there's a little more there than just a typical lager. Mm-hmm. That must be the dry hopping. Yeah, so we, we, we hopped it with uh, Idaho Gem. So is Peroni part of the Miller? Yep, kind of Peroni, a, Peroni is one of our so portfolio So kind of brands. similar to what we were talking about, the high heat, do you start Peroni as the base beer then? It's not you know cut and clear and easy. Sometimes we can't really find recipes. You know, we got to go through a bunch of loopholes. But we'll find the original recipe and then start tweaking from there. If it's something that's already in our portfolio, why reinvent the wheel? That's got to be pretty cool. I mean, uh, craft brewers get to experiment with their own recipes, which they came up with just a couple years ago. You guys get to experiment with recipes that have been around for, you know, sometimes hundreds of years. It's a much much bigger portfolio to experiment with, too. Yeah, uh, a much bigger uh, experiment, Bill, where you can just dive into, you know, the the past stuff and see what worked, what didn't, you know, what could work with new ingredients that are coming out. Mm -hmm. That's got to just be a, a thrilling aspect of what you do. Definitely fun. So is there a giant book of recipes? that you get to reference to or is there a database or something i, mean, I just imagine you got this like yeah we we have a folder full of of years of just kind of collected data of stuff we've done down here so if we have a, a new project that's coming up and we're like you know what we think maybe lottering is going to react like that beer we'll go back see what we did as far as you know sparge water additions all that and maybe try mimicking it no this lager is pretty fantastic and uh and the amber that you put in front of us also pretty darn tasty what's, yeah uh, what's going on with this guy yeah another another auction brew the guy that wanted this beer he said i want an amber i'm like well okay so what, what kind how do you want it do you want a certain flavor component do you want he's like i love louis demise and river west Stein. those are my go-to all right i'm like how about a little maltier he's like yes done <laughs> So I'm like, all right. So I started cranking, you know. And whenever I'm, like, starting to design a new recipe, if it's something from scratch that we don't have that I haven't done before, then, all right, onto the Internet, the Google, right? <laughs> so start looking at uh, what some of the guys are putting up for specs, whether they're alcohol specs, BU specs, going to your, your AHA website and seeing, you know, some of the, the recipes over there, what they're using, using my, uh, you know, experience and knowledge on certain malts and hops and okay you know i kind of i kind of want this certain little bite or a certain malt backbone or a certain something a certain component for that beer then you know i go through my mental rolodex i'm like oh yeah i use this malt 
for this beer, and I liked how that functioned, and I liked what it gave me, so maybe I can incorporate that in this. I think earlier you said that microbrewers come to you for help sometimes, you know? Yeah, which is funny. Cause does I, that I mean, go the other it, way? It, it, it does. I mean, a lot of them don't know I'm doing it, right? But I'm, I'm probing <laughs> them for knowledge as well, because we're not an 800 million barrel facility down here. We're a 10-barrel brewery. We are laid out like a production facility. The only difference is I don't have a license to sell. I'm strictly research innovation. So that's, that's our only difference. I mean, our small side, all their stuff is homebrew corny kegs, right? They're, they're blending products and homebrew corny kegs. We're, we're doing benchtop blends. So we do take some of the practices of some of the craft guys and kind of see what works for them, what doesn't work for them, and do our kind of big brewer spin on it. So from a, like a day-to-day your like work setting is just like any other brewery that we've been to at the smaller uh, ones are- yes and no so <laughs> we are a brewery but it's a bit of a shit show down here um for the fact that we're constantly changing what we're doing so my schedule probably changes five times a day depending on what new incoming projects are coming in so i'm uh, juggling existing projects new incoming projects so it's not like laid out where you have hey I'm working with a distributor. They want this much volume. Here's my production schedule for the month. I'm barely able to hold up my, like a schedule for five days. And that's like the strong past that. It's just, it's all right. Who knows? We'll see how, uh, how Friday shows up. And I may be changing this for something, five other projects. So how many turns do you do a day? One or two brews a day. It depends. It depends on what we're brewing. Most of the time it's one brew a day. So we run one shift, but we also have flex flex hours. So it may be an eight-hour shift. It may be a sixteen-hour shift. We may have to be here at midnight, depending on what we're doing. It just—it just dependent. We're very—we're very flexible. So that's where it differs from a regular brewery. Is uh, there's less flexibility. Uh, obviously, you kind of have your hard production schedule set. We're kind of all over the place. We're just trying to cater to our customers, which are the consumers and the requesters. Do you get to prioritize, or does does that get sent down to you too? No, no. Yeah, we do a lot of the prioritizing, but um, a lot of the projects already have their priority so like i said we may have something laid out and then all of a sudden this project comes in it's like oh that's like uh, impacting you know molson coors global so they need this asap so then that bumps you know kind of trumps whatever i had in plan and now i have to incorporate that into the schedule and how it's gonna you know waterfall down so uh, tell us about the the team that you have in place. Is it uh, do you have a regular team? Or are you pulling from uh, from other shifts uh, during uh, you know other uh, brewing processes? What what does that look like when you're you're putting together like a bigger project? Sure. So we down here in in MVB we're we're very tight niched. Um, we have a small little crew. The large side, which is Miller Valley, um, MVB. There are two full-time employees over there, myself and Steve. So we're, we run the show there. And then we have another full-time who's kind of like, he's kind of our assistant brewer. He, his position is going to be flip-flopping, helping small side and big side. But right now we've been training him to do all our stuff so so he can help us out. And so he's, he's like our third core. It's really the three of us running the show over there and making things happen. And then our small side is ran by another three-person crew, two full-times, um, one temporary full-time. So contingent worker, and they do all the small side work. So, and that's just recent. We just finally um, got a full staff. So we were running kind of skeleton crew <laughs> for a while. So it's kind of nice. And we're like, oh crap, all these extra bodies. All right, cool. It's, it's weird to hear. Start, start scrubbing. <laughs> it's weird to hear that because you think Miller, and you think you have everything behind no, you. Oh no, it's all about margin, Jesus. So. Yeah. Concern that always comes up with uh, brewers is space. You were talking about a barrel aging program. Where do you put the barrels? Where 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 do you put this stuff? Yeah, that is a good question. <laughs> where, wherever I can put it. Um, 
it's it's very tight down here so we really don't have a lot of room um especially when they're trying to bring in new equipment and they're like well, all right starting to measure and like yeah that's, that's the only little square that we have left so it does get very tight and it being a pilot facility it's hard to get some smaller scale equipment so like our can line like not a fan of it but back in the day when they put it in that was the only vacuum pressure canner that was it and so nowadays you know they're making smaller platform smaller prof uh, profile products and equipment which is nicer but for a barrel aging literally i have my my barrel racks under my stairs under my brew house when i fill them they move from the brew house to our little side room and then back and forth wherever we need room so if we get if we get some uh some sugar in or some bags of malt all right Barrel's got to get moved. Even Miller gets to play Tetris, right? Oh, dude, I play so much Tetris. I'm probably the, I'm probably the master. My schedule alone is a giant game of Tetris. Right, so you have a lot of the same challenges as uh, some of the craft breweries. Well, okay, so Even within, you know, within the shell of the, here, the here's, big guys. Here's what I like to say. We all make beer. <laughs> you know, beer, beer's made the same way, right? It starts with A, ends with D. All right? The, the, only, the only difference is maybe I have some better toys. Maybe you have a better, you know, barrel program. It, it, that's that's the only difference. But we're all making beer in the end. At the end of the day, and we all we're all doing it the same way. Speaking of beer, I, I think we're ready <laughs> for the beer. next one. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm gonna switch you guys up. Okay. And I'm gonna oh. go. In, yeah, I'm gonna go into the uh, flavored malt beverage realm. This one brings us back to an earlier question about the scene at the festival. Sure. Because what you're about to pour, and you can tell us more about it was a big hit at Firkin last year. Yeah. Can you tell us about just that whole scene and your how people have accepted you being under the umbrella of Miller? The way we kind of portray ourselves, we, we let our beer do the talking. People see the Miller name and they, they kind of start to shun us away and be like, ah, yeah, big beer or whatever. So so we really bring our bring our A-games whenever we go to these festivals to, to showcase our capabilities and what we're able to do. So this guy right now, that what you're tasting, is called Good Old Fashioned Water. And that, that was kind of uh, Steve and I's take on the hard seltzer craze so i know we have the henry series right four point change uh in abv so again myself liking the higher abv products took it a next step further so i, I took our uh neutral malt base barrel aged it in heaven hill bourbon barrels finished it off for it to taste like an old-fashioned so it's got a lot of orange component a lot of cherry component it's got a little bit of that bourbon but it drinks like a lacroix and it finishes clean and crisp but it's nine percent how yeah. did you do the flavorings for the kind of curacao and the uh, cherry yeah so we work again like as i mentioned earlier we work a lot with flavor houses so we did a little uh kind of um, some luxardo cherry and some orange um, natural flavors to get those components in there and then the barrel aging added that little kind of oaky dryness along with the bourbon, little yeah, slight bourbon note. I would say the bur bourbon barrel aging has done wonders to this water. I mean, it's it's <laughs> fantastic. You get to I sneak in here. You, you guys have like a, a Miller yeah. Miller Coors like Christmas party. Surprise. You get to sneak stuff like this in. <laughs> I mean, the, oh. the only Christmas thing we have is the uh, light show that they do okay. every year. And so this year, uh, well, all the years we provide the chocolate lager for it. Oh, the nice. Frederick Miller chocolate lager. Yeah. Um, this will be the first year it's actually commercialized, though, since 06. So it's actually hitting select accounts around Milwaukee. And then I believe they're selling crawlers in the uh, gift shop. Just ever any talk? Like, you guys, like, put new guys, like, stuff you guys brew, like, as one-offs down at the you know, Miller Time Pub or anything like that? So, th so there's a lot of talks on that. Um, actually, 
we're, we're finally getting the right people in place and knowing the right folks oh, in marketing. Sure. We've been working with some of the guys from marketing and it, it's sounding more and more rea- of a reality. Obviously the whole chocolate lager, it's now commercialized. So from there we'll be pumping out 1855 from here for select accounts. We potentially may be, may be doing um, the IPA we did for the IPA competition, the If I Could, I Would, and then maybe one of our Hefeweizen. You know, that only makes sense because they've bought uh, all these microbreweries. Needs cachet. Sure. And, and I think... Well, the way I look at it is we need street cred, right? Yeah. That's 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 how we're going to get our street cred. I, I would love for them to just give us a tap room and just let us go wild. I mean, So we, would we. Yeah, right? AB allows Goose still to do quite a number of things. Oh, sure. Even mm-hmm. though... You know, they have a quota of 312 they got to make, right? (laughs) Exactly. That's actually a really interesting comparison because, uh, you know, the the thing that we learned when we uh, did our interview with Goose Island is that uh, basically they they took some things out of house and then they basically brought a a dump truck full of money towards the barrel aging program (laughs) and said, throw it into distribution and uh, throw it into barrels and and we're going to go fucking nuts with the barrel aging program. But we're going to take some things away from you and we're going to do those in-house. Sure. With you guys, it's a very similar situation where it's like go nuts you know do the experimental stuff but without the uh the commercial aspect of it nothing that you do needs to sell you know what i mean like that's a very interesting uh uh, distinction between the two nothing that you do needs to sell but yet you're you're free to do whatever you want that's got to be a very freeing thing so when you talked about in a sense okay i mean we, we we definitely have our handcuffs but when you talked about, uh, you know, wanting to go and, and be your own brewery and, and, and build your own product and all that kind of stuff, the, the folks who do that, yes, they, they do get to do their own thing, but they're also, they're held to a market standard, you know, oh, sure, what sells course. and what doesn't. You guys aren't necessarily held to that market standard because nothing's selling. You're not actually selling any of your products, so you literally get to do whatever you want. What would you say are the, the advantages towards uh, the system that you're running versus the advantages towards uh, a person who's got their own uh, their own brewery, the, the craft brewing industry? For us, you know, especially myself as a brewer, I'm, I'm, Steve kind of feels the same way. It's, it's very disheartening to, like, make some awesome products that people go just batty over. And when they ask you, where can I buy this? You know, can I find this at Woodman's? Can I find this here? You know, where can I get this? I'm just like, you can't. I'm just a big old tease. Sorry. <laughs> um, but it, it is. You know, it, it does, it does kind of It hurts deep down knowing that you made an awesome product. And, you know, it, you feel good about it knowing that people love it. But at the same time, it's never going to see the light of day. Whereas, you know, if you have your own place, you know, your, your creations are going to come to life. They're going to be hitting the shelves. It, it is nice when we do have some fun beers that come down the pipeline that we feed the innovation for, and then you see it on the shelf. You're like, oh, that's cool. Mind you, it's under a different name. Like, again, like the Big Eddies, the, the Hofbrauch collaboration, the, they're going to come under different names. For like Everything for us is all code name. So <laughs> as, you know, you know, Project Nightcrawler, Project, you know, Blackhawk, whatever. It's, you know, they're all code names down here. So when it finally hits the you know the market, it's under something completely different. I mean, I mean, we do work for for Blue Moon as well, and just a little bit of everybody. So the, the fact that our main creations and the stuff we really like put a lot of heart and soul into never hits the market makes us sad. So where if you have your own place, it's like, hey, this is killing it. People are loving it. Boom, let's make this an actual reality and put it out. Let's talk about something that should be a reality. This, what do, this beer right here, right? Yes, freaking delicious. Yeah. Tell us a little yeah. bit about it. 
Yeah, so th- this uh, I showcased last year at the uh, Black Friday Harley Fest. It's called Hard Ride. So it's a triple barrel aged strong ale. We aged it in George Dickel Sour. Triple, sa- triple barrel aged. George Dickel Sour Mash. Revolution, eat your heart out. <laughs> Brandy barrels and then uh, Heaven Hill bourbon. And blended them all back together with some of the base. So you get a little bit of every component of each barrel with a lot of like toffee caramel notes so this was actually steve's graduation brew so when i was training him his final brew it's like all right let's do something fun this will be your 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 brew to prove prove to me that you can brew on the system <laughs> don't without, fuck this up yeah exactly <laughs> prove yourself. W- without me babysitting you so obviously you know i was like the fly on the wall kind of shadowing him just kind of watching what he was doing but so this was a graduation brew and so we kind of did you know we designed the recipe together and uh you know went over recipe design and it was it was a fun beer it you know we this is this is one of his favorites as well. This uh, hard ride and the hugs and kisses, but it just turned out nice. It's a little thinner than uh, a stout, right? We're all used to these big BA stouts. Yeah, uh, it's a strong. Are ale. we at uh, under eight percent on this? Are <laughs> <laughs> we able to get into <laughs> no, 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 Even I can tell the heat. In you this. get that sugary, like <laughs> you know, you know. Nine point six. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. It showcases the barrels so well. I get so much barrel flavoring out of this. And also, it's just amazing. Something that you say a lot is malt backbone. Very yeah. big on this. It's got yeah. the huge yeah. malt backbone. Alex, what do you think? I think it's really nice. Yeah, as far as a strong ale, you don't get one that normally that's been triple barrel aged, and this one, this one shows all the the best characteristics of that i'm I'm getting the the char i'm getting the vanilla i'm getting all the best aspects of a barrel age what what sort of barrels did this one go through uh heaven hill bourbon dickel sour mash and brandy nice oh the brandy okay yeah that's what i'm picking up that is sweetness that sweetness is- Amazing, yeah, the sweetness yeah. from the brandy is. And too. sometimes you can, when you taste the beer, you know it's high in alcohol. This is this is one of so, them. So again, I'm good at mo. I can hide. I can hide ABV fairly well. Yeah, you you've uh, hide it. You've <laughs> hit it very well. Yeah, this one. I mean, because we, we've had so much, we know that. Uh, sure, yeah, right. You know, you know what yeah. to expect. But yeah, for the most part, I, I can hide ABV fairly well, and it's it's all about balance at the end of the day. I mean, I, I preach this all the time. A beer needs to be balanced. Not just for this beer, but all of them. I mean, uh, yeah, one thing true. you one thing you've hit is is all the aspects of it and the mouthfeel too. Yep. Is I'm a big mouthfeel guy when it comes to beer, and they've all been perfect. It's mm-hmm. it, they really have for what the styles are. I'll tell you what. Let's uh, let's bring it back to that uh, tap takeover, which we kind of put away for a second. Okay. But um, I, so if you could throw something on the taps uh, for the beer nerds, you know, to get sure. them out of bed in the morning, you know, they only come out for the, for the good stuff. Oh, what, yeah, of uh, course. Do you have anything there for uh, for our live tasting that you could kind of throw on for some of the beer? And you nerds might actually have it try. here. <laughs> I do actually, and uh, let me pour it up for you guys hopefully it's still uh it still has held up so this puppy's over two years old two oh. years in chain this guy i had to pull out of my uh freaking little bottle cellar at home i have the last couple bottles left over there um so this is a bourbon barrel age belgian quad that we did 12 oh percent this was this was a really fun project so this was one of those auction beers funny enough so what a lot of people don't understand when they do those auctions they can create whatever the heck they want, which is kind of sad because sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, I really like Miller Lite. I'm like, that's cool. This, this <laughs> yeah. guy, I, w- I was so excited. Um, and he actually threw me a curveball, which even ma- made me even more excited. So his dad was celiac, and he's like, hey, I want to make a beer, but I want my dad to be able to enjoy it with me. I'm like, okay. I'm like, what are you looking for? He's like, I love Belgian quads. <laughs> well, well, let's see. Ding, 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 yeah, ding. let's see. Malt is the backbone, so that's yeah. not gonna fly. So, so I, well, I started playing around and I started designing a gluten-free, true, true gluten, not your Clarex 
you know, BS. Yeah, the a, a true gluten-free quad. And so I started making one, and it was it was that was a challenge. Like I was doing small prototypes on the on our small forty liter side, yep. and then halfway through, we used to create a product called Coors Peak that was only on the West Coast. It was a, a full gluten-free pale ale and uh, an amber. And so they stopped producing it. So we had a pallet of it. I told the guy, I'm like, well, how about this? How about a, um, since you really want a traditional quad, how about I make your traditional quad and I give you a pallet of this uh, gluten-free that we're going to get rid of for your old man? He's like, done. So I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so fuck your dad. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to make a good beer. <laughs> so, so we made this quad for him. I designed it, did the regular version for him, and I did a double batch of it. So I took the second batch and threw it into Heaven Hill Bourbon Barrels. Nice. Aged it for one month only. So that's, oh, so, that's that's short. so here's the funny part. This um, is really only one month. So this this is the funny part. Was what, it in smaller? Like no, no, full barrel. So what I've discovered out of my barrel age, because a lot a lot of guys preach, oh, it's got to be a year, twelve months, yeah. six, eight months, whatever. What I do is obviously, which I'm sure a lot of guys do, you taste your taste your barrels, right? Yeah. What I've found is, unless you know you have a certain component, it needs to flatten out. One or two months, I've been putting out barrel aged products. So a lot of these. A lot of these are within one or two months. Unless I'm doing my sours, then I'm anywhere from like six to a couple of years. And then again, the hugs and kisses, three, four years. But that's because we, uh, we we snagged that from our Liney's uh, 10th Street Brewery. So when you say dickle tickle, it's really just a little tickle. It's, it's just a tickle, yeah. That, that, <laughs> one, that one was probably about a month and a half, two months. So wow. do you think it's a lot of the residual bourbon that's in that wood that comes out right away that's extracted? Yes. I mean, the barrel aging game is, is it's a weird game, obviously, because you have your temperature conditions, where it's located, all, you know, humidity. That, that's, that all plays huh. into effect. So for all I know, it could just be our building you know technically can't you take like a freshly poured barrel of whiskey and fill it three quarters away with water and within like three months out in the sun you're gonna have backyard whiskey that's about 10 percent yeah you can you can pull you can pull some some booze out we like we like to say uh for obviously for ttb purposes it referments in the barrel it's it's kind of funny when you hear some of the some of the craft guys they're like oh yeah we we used uh we used a bottle of jack for sanitizer and then it just got absorbed into the barrel so i'm surprised this is actually this is held up you know for two years for over two years old yeah there's a touch of oxidation on it it's got a little little smidge and i honestly struck by something within your bottles they're all twist caps yes Yes, so, we get that a lot. Yeah, let's talk about a little Is that just the product of your company that you're with? Why twist caps? And are you concerned about that at all? No, not at all. Not at all. There, I mean, there, there is no no bad to being twist off. So our, our main reason for it is our glass suppliers. So we snag glass from our main breweries. We kind of feed off their, main, their, their supplier. It's getting harder and harder for us because we roll all the 205 case glass, and a lot of the breweries are going away to bulk glass. We don't have a depal, so it's all manually inserting it into our, uh, <laughs> yeah, our infeed. So if we had bulk, one, I couldn't get it through the door, so I would take a few, few layers off. And then two, be you know, one bottle at a time putting it on our depal. Or, or, or case, case and loader. You know, I feel business case, use case for internship right here. <laughs> right? We, we used to do internships, but these, they started breaking too many things, so we stopped on that. All right, I think this is a good time to pause. Hydrate. Hydrate. And what we're going to do is, because we're having so much fun, we get a few more beers to finish off for the tasting. We're going to come back in a couple weeks. We'll finish up with Kane, and we're going to find out some great stories. So for myself, Jesus. I'm Jim. Andy here. Alex. Kane. This has been a solid non-field production. Oh,